Welcome to the 26th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Plants that cover the land all year round and don't have to be planted anew each spring are called perennial plants. There's been a lot of talk in agriculture lately about returning some perenniality to farming. Studies and on-the-farm experience have shown that perennial plants help prevent erosion while building soil, resulting in such benefits as cleaner water and critical wildlife habitat. The problem is Midwestern agriculture is currently dominated by an annual plant system, specifically row crops such as corn and soybeans. In previous Ear to the Ground installments, we've talked about how pasture-based livestock systems can add perenniality to the landscape via grass. Another growing trend in sustainable agriculture is integrating nut and fruit-producing plants into gardening operations, creating another kind of perennial food-producing system, a kind of permaculture that mimics nature as much as possible. Dave and Aaron Varney are in the midst of establishing perennial plants and permaculture on One Sun Farm near Viroqua in southwest Wisconsin. After graduating from the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings Program in 2001, the Varneys established a community-supported agriculture vegetable operation. That went well, but the young couple always felt that the environmentally fragile land they were farming needed more perennial plants. Today, the CSA vegetable operation is being run by beginning farmer Jillian Jaquina. In addition, Dave's brother Adam is operating an on-farm bakery that produces goods made from food produced right on the farm. This has given Aaron and Dave a chance to focus more on marketing and how their farm's various enterprises can be integrated into a sustainable whole. With all these changes, permaculture and perennial food plants have remained priorities. Dave recently gave me a tour of the farm and explained how they are integrating perennial plants with annual garden species through a system called stacking. As you will hear, permaculture includes a lot more than planting a few bushes here and there. We've got a permaculture farm, okay, which I'm the farmer of the permaculture farm. And within a permaculture farm, there's lots of layering and stacking. We're standing right here in front of some. Here's a hazelnut bush that's only a few years old and still will be several years from producing. We have raspberries growing right in the row with the hazelnuts because as you've seen from the patch we just looked at of wild hazelnuts, raspberries are a natural companion for hazelnuts. We'll get a quicker return on our our space here in, in the gardens with the raspberries than we will with the hazelnuts. And we can also stack even within that row of things as well because on the ground, as a ground cover, instead of having grass or weeds, as you can see right in front of us, we have strawberries growing all around these raspberries and hazelnuts that are going to give us a third crop as well. So three crops for one farmer all in the same row. These rows are 10 feet apart. There's a lot of space in between the rows, which allows for an entire new layer of the farm or an entire new person and an entire different farm to be stacked over the top of that permaculture farm. So here amidst us, we have an annual vegetable farm. Right right in this space next to us on one side, here are radishes that are growing and going to customers at a local uh, food co-op and to uh, our local CSA. On the other side of us here, on the other side of this row, there's some spinach that's going to go to those same customers, uh, to farmer's market, and going to be used to top our pizzas here that we make on the farm. We're able to integrate a large amount of production in a very small amount of space, not with just one business, but with two businesses running side by side right in the same field. 
one thing you talked about is when you first came to the farm, you were kind of looking at what would work economically, but also what would work uh, with the uh, kind of ecological system here. And you, you were very, uh, I guess, sensitive to that. And one of the things you looked at was, well, what's growing here? What has grown here? And, and you found that there were wild hazelnuts. Yep, this, this area is part of an oak hazel savanna that used to once occupy this area. And there are still remnants of that ecosystem all around us here. Um, we just went and looked at a patch of wild hazelnuts right behind us here that are part of that, that ecosystem. And there's other patches like that across the farm. So what we're, we've done a lot, a lot on this farm is just study what's already here and listen to what is already happening and we're simply mimicking it. We're mimicking it with, with hybrid hazels instead of wilds. That'll give us nuts sooner with a better quality nut. We're mimicking it with, with raspberries that are preferred varieties over just a wild variety. And um, it, and it's working. Why wouldn't it work? It, it's already working here when we got here. It, to, to us, it's a, it's, a simple, it's a simple fix for trying to figure out what it is we should be doing here to find a way to farm in an equal ecologically sustainable manner and we feel that what we're doing here is going to be sustainable over a very long term because it's already happening we're we're just organizing it a little differently that's all yeah. <laughs> um, and can you talk a little bit more too about you said one of the things you're stacking not only with the plants and the kind of the uh, uh, enterprises is the people the people aspect of it that's right. I can't do all this by myself. There's no way in the world I would want to try to take on all this by myself. Um, we have a young farmer named Jillian who works, who is a farmer here on the farm, and she runs a separate entire produce operation right within this perennial system. So we can we can have more than one farmer on a single farm working in this kind of system just because it's so diverse and there's so many things going on it's not like a field of corn where you just have corn we're i bet you that we could rattle off 12 different food crops that are all within 50 feet of us right here i see spinach i see beets i see radishes i see raspberries strawberries hazelnuts asparagus i see elderberries right there I could go on and on. We're in a very diverse setting here, and that diversity allows for a diversity of people as well, and not just the plants. And uh, you, we were talking about the livestock, kind of the role they're playing, and we just walked across a place where you had the, the hogs that are kind of working up a, a little patch there you're going to be planting later. But talk about how you've integrated uh, uh, pigs and cattle into the operation as well. You Maybe a lot of people don't consider livestock part of a vegetable or even a permaculture operation but you've really seen that as something that's important it's a huge part of a permaculture operation and and a, and the pigs are a really important part of our, our vegetable operation they're the perfect cleanup crew for a vegetable operation and we use them as uh, the first round of tractors that go onto the field uh, a lot of times before we're going to break into a new uh, area that we're going to grow produce in, we'll send the pigs in first for a season, just to work it down, manure it down, and then we'll go in. We'll we'll be patient, wait a year, and go and go in, following them. Um, and as far as the cattle, 
this area used to be grazed as, as part of that oak hazel savanna system years and years and years ago by huge herds of, of animals that would move through this area and keep the creeks down. That's why there didn't used to be all these box elder and trash trees growing in our creek areas, and there are now. It was yeah. because the, the, the natural succession of animals coming through and using these water areas has been cut off. So by doing rotational grazing with the cattle on our farm, we've been able to expand our farm onto, onto our neighbor's land and help them keep their property taxes down and, and their farm in farmland use. We've been able to keep our creek really clean, cleaned up, and improve the improve the banks and use use the cattle as a tool to help us to help us improve the ecosystem down in that area. And and just the fact that they provide such a wonderful amount of manure. Yeah. Also, it was kind of interesting. You were talking about uh, you some of the vegetables grown here go to a local Waldorf school and then when they have their uh, their scraps their vegetable scraps they bring it back and you compost it so you really seem very conscious of trying to close that nutrient cycle as much as possible yeah and and close it not just here on the farm but help close it within our entire community one of the people we've stacked on the farm is Jim Hallberg who is the hot lunch coordinator at our local Waldorf school serving an all-organic hot lunch uh, one of the only ones in the state and he gardens here on the farm. He he farms within this permaculture. He's one of the people we've stacked in here. And he's more than happy to bring back all his food scraps and feed them off to the pigs here on the farm. So pigs are one of the most profitable things we do on the farm here simply because we don't have to buy feed for them. We have such, we have such an access to waste here in our community that's organic. It's organic food that we're feeding the pigs. And we don't run a whole lot of pigs. We run small numbers. But we're able we're able to 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 like you say close the circle and utilize waste here in the community just just to raise up those pigs and we produce some wonderful pork. Yeah. What is what do you th- what do you think this place will look like in ten years? Have you talked about that or you thought about it? <laughs> I thought about it a lot. I try to explain to other people and try to tell them and show them and and wave my arms and get all excited about it and they just go oh yeah <laughs> it's really hard to to have that set of eyes to know what it's going to look like but to, to describe it to someone else and have them not understand can be a little frustrating but yes i i do have a really good idea what it's going to look like because i've been to the research farm where my hazelnuts come from uh-huh. and i've i've seen all these different plants these perennials that we have growing on the farm uh full size and i'm i'm quite well aware of what this is all going to look like it's going to be quite a jungle down here <laughs> in a good way in a good way yeah for sure a, a food producing jungle i guess that's right, that's right. Um, can you describe some of the other perennials that you got going here sure we've we've got asparagus on the farm we've got over an acre of asparagus um there are well over 2500 hazelnut bushes here on the farm and all of them have uh produce operation integrated in between them um, and we're just we're just finishing off getting raspberries uh, interplanted into all those rows of hazels as well. Um, we have other things on the farm like cherry trees and cherry bushes. Um, we have close to a thousand blueberry plants here on the farm, although we've had limited success with them. Some are doing very well, and some are are not doing very well. Um, we run the cattle, and we run the hogs. And we have fruit trees as well as such as the apple and pear trees, but they're not a real predominant part of the operation right now. Um, they're in the ground; it's more of a long-term thing. And we've got a smattering of other perennial crops like currants. 
we've got some chestnut trees here. Uh, uh, just a lot of different... We're, we're still experimenting with finding even more things just, just to try to stick in here and there. It's going to be quite an extensive perennial setup once once all this starts to come into full bloom it's just even these small numbers is going to be a lot yeah you know looking at this uh we're just kind of standing here in a bot kind of a bottom of a, a creek bottom i guess and but then right we're in the coulee region which means we have some real dramatic hills uh right above us here making it very difficult to farm you know that's all covered in trees for a reason it really does seem like permaculture makes a lot of sense right here. Permaculture makes a ton of sense right here. That hillside that you're looking at is full of maple trees. And we we tap those maple trees, r- run the sap, and sell the sap to a local producer who sells us our maple syrup back, which we bring into the bakery and use in our baked goods. Um, it all ties together. Um, even considering the the woods as a source of of other of, of other permaculture things going on, I sell firewood every winter, well over $1,000 worth of firewood. And every year I go into the woods and I do thinning and, and, and forestry work. Um, all the white oak that you see on the front of that new produce building and inside the building down there all came out of, out of our woods. We have we have local Amish mills really close to us here. Um, so it's easy to get logs trucked up to a mill and sawed up ourselves. And so the woods, to me, is just as much of the farm as far as a permaculture farm as the rest. Up near the worker cabin that we just built, um, I found all sorts of hazelnuts in the hillside up there, along with a bunch of old white oak trees. And last winter, that's where I did a lot of my cutting. I cut out a lot of that old oak, old growth of the white oak, released that hazelnut area, and then filled it up with another couple hundred hazelnuts right up on the hillside there. So eventually that hillside will get all, all covered in hazels as well. And we're going to keep working our way. I'll show you that other end of the farm a little later on. We're going to, we're going to work our way into the woods on that part of the farm as well, because some of what's woods now wasn't really woods yeah. in the past and um and there's a lot of opportunity for us to to use our wooded acreage as as an income producing part of our land and keep me busy right through the winter <laughs> um did how much did your farm beginnings training help you kind of uh, really look at the big picture this takes a lot of planning and maybe the ability to look into the future and have some patience and and uh, also maybe convince lenders that uh, there's some future here uh, did farm beginnings help you with that yeah it helped me throw throw the book right out the window of what you're supposed to do when you get to a farm because we first sat down in one of the very first farm beginnings class and rattled off a list a mile long of things you could do on a farm and right that right there from the beginning that helped me just just completely open up the window of what i could consider once we got here and we knew once we got here that um we were going to start out wholesaling whatever we did, and we eventually wanted to steer the ship towards the retail end as, as hard and fast as we could and end up in that place. And I knew right from the beginning of growing annual produce and having it break my back for a couple of years that that definitely wasn't a direction I wanted to go over a long-term period, getting really big and, 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 and that kind of thing. I, I really wanted to make sure that what we were doing was ecologically sound and that would provide a long-term future for our kids to be able to inherit this farm and have something very valuable and not just something that they didn't like because it was a lot of hard work. For more information on One Sun Farm and Bakery, see www.localharvest.org. 
That's www.localharvest.org. You can enter the search phrase, One Sun Farm. More on the Farm Beginnings program is at www.farmbeginnings.org. That's farmbeginnings.org. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.